Good evening, everybody. Good evening. If you would, get your Bibles out and open them up to Luke, the 12th chapter. Luke chapter 12, that's where we're going to be uh, pretty much exclusively this evening. We'll make a reference to a passage or two along the way, but we'll just kind of stay right here in Luke, the 12th chapter, for the duration of our study tonight. It is great to see everybody again. I hope that you've had a pleasant afternoon, and I'm so glad that you've chose to make time for this second period of worship together. You know, our God is deserving of so much praise and so much adoration and so much thanksgiving that a couple of hours on Sunday hardly seems to be enough, but I don't think it's so much the quantity of our worship that the Lord is interested in as He's interested in the quality of our worship. And so let's make use of those things we talked about this morning, our affection, our concentration, and our participation. Let's put those principles to work right now as we open up God's Word. I'm reading in Luke the 12th chapter. Look with me in verse 15. These are the words of Jesus in Luke 12 and in verse 15. Jesus says, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. You know, I continue to be fascinated at just how quickly our society goes from being really, really thankful one day for all the things that they have to the very next day rushing to stores to buy more things. That is pretty much the way that it goes in our country when it gets up to the month of November and December. You know, that's just kind of what happens during that hard shift from the Thanksgiving holiday, which then quickly gives way to the Black Friday and Christmas holiday. All that spirit of thankfulness and gratitude that pervades our culture for a few days in late November very quickly starts to give way to consumerism and materialism, yes, even during a pandemic in 2020. In fact, the National Retail Federation, they are actually estimating that holiday spending could increase this year by as much as 5% from last year. There's an expected 200, excuse me, 755 billion dollars worth of purchases that are expected to be made during the Christmas season. Once again, during even a pandemic, even during a recession. In fact, a recent Gallup poll showed that more than a third of Americans plan to spend more than $1,000 on Christmas gifts this year. In fact, the national average for each person for Christmas gifts this year is about 900 bucks. It's somewhere in that ballpark. Now, let me just say right here before I go any further with all of this, I want to make very clear that I am not knocking anybody's decision to spend money on Christmas gifts. In fact, there's probably going to be a bunch of little kids really mad at me if I don't say that. So it's okay to buy Christmas gifts. And I'm not trying as well to be judgmental on how much stuff is too much stuff. That's something everybody's going to have to decide on their own. But let's just be honest. Americans love stuff. And do you want to hear a secret? Christians do too. They do. Christians love stuff. Think about it. Most of us drive really nice cars even right here to this church building this evening. That sure beats walking out in the cold, doesn't it? And most of us as well when the final amen is said this evening. We're going to get in those nice cars and we're going to drive where? Yeah, we're going to drive to our nice houses. That sure beats living in a cardboard box under a bridge, doesn't it? 
And when we get to our houses, what are we going to do? Well, we're going to enjoy our our big screen televisions, and we're going to enjoy our sleep number beds, and we're going to enjoy our central heat, and we're going to enjoy our tablets and our smartphones and our Xboxes. The list goes on and on. But Americans love their stuff, and Christians do too. And if hearing that, me saying that, if that makes you uncomfortable, well, well, it should. Because it sounds an awful lot like the very thing that Jesus warns us about right here in Luke chapter 12 and in verse 15 when Jesus cautioned about the idea of letting stuff run your life. Where exactly are we then when it comes to possessions and goods and things of a material nature? You know, Jesus most certainly knew that His disciples would own material possessions. And Jesus knew as well that our relationship to our stuff, that it needed to be different than the world's relationship to their stuff. That Christians are to feel differently about material possessions. That we are to treat material possessions differently. That in fact we are to think differently about material possessions. But Jesus also understood that 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 would be hard for us to do. He understands that we are material creatures. Which is why in Luke the 12th chapter, Jesus tells this parable to keep us on track. Last month, on the Sunday before Thanksgiving, I preached a sermon about our proper attitude towards spiritual blessings in Christ. This evening, on the final Sunday before Christmas, I want to use the parable that Jesus tells in Luke the 12th chapter to help us to get a proper perspective on our material blessings. From the parable of the rich farmer, Jesus shows us how it is that we need to act and treat and think about our stuff. And I am convinced this is something that we need to get just dialed in with Jesus about not just during this time of year, which is a very commercial time of the year, but all the time, year-round, as we strive to be people who are laying our treasures up in heaven and not on this earth. And I believe in Luke chapter 12, Jesus will help us in that direction. Can we just read the passage in its context? Let's get the whole thing here. Not just the parable, not just the statement Jesus made in verse 15, but we need to get the whole ordeal to see what exactly was the the whole kind of precedent for this discussion. In Luke chapter 12, begin with me if you will in verse 13. In Luke chapter 12 and in verse 13, Jesus says there, excuse me, the text says, someone in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, Man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And so he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I'll do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods, and I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, verse 20, You fool! This night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So verse 21, 
so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. You know, I've been in Jesus' shoes before here in Luke chapter 12 where someone finds out that I'm a preacher and so they start asking me to kind of mediate between them and somebody else because I guess they figure that a preacher will be able to provide kind of the moral compass, the morally right solution to whatever the conflict or whatever the dilemma is. But I want you to notice in Luke chapter 12, Jesus does not agree to play the referee with this man and his brother. Instead, Jesus uses this occasion as an opportunity to do some teaching. In fact, I'm guessing that Jesus was able to to kind of read between the lines of what this guy was asking. Jesus was able, of course, to see this man's heart and see this man's mind. And he could tell that this man had a very wrong idea, a very wrong approach about material possessions. And that is, of course, what provides the impetus for this parable about the rich farmer. And in that parable, there are three very decisive points that Jesus makes. But I need to tell you, before we can even notice what those points are, we need to take note of what Jesus did not say. Would you please note very carefully that Jesus did not say that stuff is bad. Would you look again at verse 16? Jesus did not say, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And God said to him, You are so evil for owning land. And you know what? You're even more sinful for farming it to make money. How dare you have barns and how dare you build bigger barns? You should have given all your stuff away. No. Jesus doesn't say anything like that. And the reason Jesus doesn't say anything along those lines is because owning stuff and making money, in fact, even making a lot of money, it's not wrong and it's not sinful. Now, to be absolutely clear, money can create some spiritual problems and we'll let Jesus enumerate some of those here in just a moment. But money and goods and farms and barns in and of themselves, those things are not bad. And I recognize that sometimes we get a little bit squirmy trying to reconcile material prosperity with our Christianity. Have you ever had the experience of maybe you got a new car and that very first Sunday that you drive that car to church, there's all kinds of people, they see you pulling in and everybody comes around and they say, Whoa! Looky here! Look what's up! <laughs> looky who's got the big bucks! Huh? Somebody must be rolling in the dough, huh? 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 kind of nudging about that. And of course, when we hear all of that, we, we get embarrassed by that. And we almost feel like we need to apologize over the fact that we've been blessed by the Lord. Well, listen to me. God's not anti-money. It's not something that we need to apologize about. God's not against money. Some of God's greatest servants were people who had lots of money. Job... Abraham, Philemon, Lydia, those were wealthy people and yet they continued to serve the Lord faithfully despite their riches. And yes, before somebody comes to me after services and tries to remind me of something I did not know, yes, I do realize that Jesus did tell one guy that he needed to sell all that he had and to follow him. 
But I want to be very clear about that, that Jesus said that in a very specific context, and He said it to one specific guy, and that admonition is not given ever again at any time to anyone in all of Scripture. And so I'll just say this evening, that if you are feeling guilty about your car, or about your house, or about your cell phone, then what you need to do, brother or sister is you need to figure out what the Bible has to say about your stuff. Because Jesus does not say that owning or having stuff is bad. Instead, what Jesus teaches is that how we need to view material things, that's what sometimes gets us in trouble. And so with that disclaimer out of the way, what exactly does Jesus teach us in the parable? Well, let's get those three truths. Number one, let me actually start kind of at the end of the parable because I think Jesus shows us, first of all, that there are two ways to be rich. You can be rich materially. You can be rich spiritually. Look again at kind of the punchline to the parable. This is verse 21. In verse 21, Jesus said, So is the one who lays up treasure for himself. That's one kind of riches. And is not rich toward God. There's the other kind of riches. You know, what we're looking at in this story is a man whose farm had, well, his farm had done well. It had. In fact, maybe the thing that kind of gets overlooked here that we need to just point out is that, well, it's God who blessed his farm. You know, when it comes to farming, yeah, you can have the biggest and the best tractors and equipment and all that sort of stuff, but at the end of the day, ultimately, it's God who gives the sunshine and God who gives the rain. God's the one who provides that. And so the problem is not that this man is well off. No, the problem is that he is materially rich, but he is spiritually poor. His account down at the first bank of Capernaum, yeah, it's full, but his spiritual life, it is thin and it is weak. He's got all kinds of stuff, but his soul... His soul is bankrupt. And this is where I need to remind you that these two things here, when we talk about material riches and spiritual riches, these two things don't have to be mutually exclusive. They don't have to oppose each other. As I said a moment ago, people like Abraham and Job, they were materially rich and they were also spiritually rich. But this story here in Luke chapter 12 well illustrates that it is certainly possible to pursue one kind of riches to the neglect of that other kind of riches. And I'm guessing that you know which is which, don't you? I'll tell you this, I've never met anybody that I look at their life and I wanted to say to them, man, I tell you what, you are just too prayerful. You just pray too much. And you know what? You just spend too much time reading your Bible. And what I'm thinking of, you talk to way too many people about Jesus. I'll tell you what, you are just so consumed with being a Christian that you forget to pay your bills and you forget to go to work. I've never met anybody like that. I've never met anybody that's had that kind of a problem. But on the other hand, I'm afraid that I've met Christians who were like this rich farmer who got so lost in the pursuit of the secular that God ended up getting lost in the process. That's why, of course, the Apostle Paul later on in 1 Timothy the 6th chapter would write there about money and about wealth and about goods 
And Paul would specify what the problem is when he says that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Notice there, the love of money. You see, it's a heart issue. What do you love? What is first in your heart? You see, when we have a love for the spiritual, then our money and our things and our possessions, they'll just fall right in line behind that. And everything will be in its rightful place. But when you love stuff, when it's first, listen, God is not going to get in line behind your stuff. God is not going to stand behind your 401k or your stock portfolio. You just ask that rich farmer who God spoke to him in the middle of the night and said to him, verse 20, you are a fool. And the reason that you're a fool is because I'm not going to play second fiddle to your barns and your goods and your farm and all your stuff. No, God is only willing to be given first position in our lives. That's the only place He's willing to accept. And I know that right about now, this is where all of us nod our heads in affirmation and say, yes, yes, that's right, that's right. God comes first. And you know what, Brother Josh? He comes first in my life. I love the Lord. I'm putting Him first. I value the spiritual above the material. But the question is, do we? Do we? We pay good lip service to that, but do we in our lives? Are we really sure about that? Maybe this is where we need to grab that second truth from the parable, and that is this, and that is that the parable teaches there are two ways to be oriented in life. We can either be oriented toward self, or we can be oriented toward God. Look again at the parable. Look in verse 18. In verse 18 of the parable, notice the pronouns that are used repeatedly in Luke 12 verse 18. The farmer says, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all of my grain and my goods. You just read that one verse. Which way is that guy oriented? It's not hard to figure out. That guy is absolutely oriented in a selfish manner. The word orientation, according to one dictionary, has to do with what you are directed toward, what you are motivated by, what you are concerned with. And this rich farmer, he is concerned with the big I. In fact, he's so caught up in himself, when you get to verse 19, he actually begins talking to himself in the third person. In verse 19, And I'll say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. This guy is completely self-absorbed. He has no concept of, of stewardship. That perhaps these things that he has are actually on loan from the Lord. He has no concept either of generosity. That is how he might use his material blessings in order to bless others. Again and again, there is only self-interest. Now you might be thinking to yourself right now, Josh, listen, I tell you what, that's bad, I see that, but come on, there's no danger that I'm going to become so self-absorbed and so self-interested that I end up forgetting about God or forgetting about others. But listen to me. 
I don't think that we have to become that self-absorbed, as absorbed as that rich farmer, in order for our lives to be oriented in the wrong direction. I believe that the devil is plenty satisfied when we are willing to give in to any degree of self-interest. The pursuit of goods and money and things for self, as long as it takes our focus off of the Lord. I remember several years ago, a preacher was talking about a, a Christian couple, both of whom worked uh, regular jobs, but on top of that, they then decided to invest in and buy a business. And so this couple, this husband and this wife, they both went to their jobs from 8 in the morning till 3 in the afternoon every day. And then they came home every evening and they worked their business from 3 until midnight. It didn't take long before a few weeks went by and several folks from church started to notice that, that them or their family weren't there on Wednesday nights anymore. And in fact, there was even some Sundays where they weren't coming to services. In fact, what they found out was even during the week it was hard to even get a hold of this couple to talk to them or to spend time with them. And so when the elders went and talked to them and asked them about the, the very busy schedule that they were keeping, the couple replied by saying, they said, we just want to provide nice things for our kids. We just want to provide nice things for our kids. You know, something about that sounds very pious and very noble, I suppose. But I wonder, how does that play against Luke, the 12th chapter? Doesn't that eerily resemble this rich farmer who was willing to do anything he needed to do in order to pull down his barns and build bigger barns even if it meant sacrificing spiritual things? When we're working that kind of schedule, when we're burning the candle at both ends like that in order to have just, just a little bit more, it's not enough for our kids to just have necessities. No, we want them to also have lots of nice things. When we're doing all that, we can have just a little bit more of this world's goods. Can we really say with honesty and integrity in our hearts that we are oriented in a Godward direction? Please don't misunderstand me this evening. Work is important. I am not knocking work. The Bible teaches that that is our obligation. Read 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 10 if you believe that maybe I'm not talking right here, okay? But if you and I, if we had to give an explanation for why it is that we, that we didn't read our Bibles like we should, or why it is that we haven't been praying as we ought, or why it is that we can't seem to find time to check on our brothers and sisters or spend time with our brothers and sisters, or why it is that we're not coming to services on Wednesday night, many times those explanations, many times those explanations would be tied up in work, wouldn't they? Had to work. I had to do some overtime at work. Work late. Too tired from work. Nothing wrong with work in and of itself, but the question we're asking right now is, what is all that work motivated by? Is that motivated by my desire to obey the Lord and to provide for the necessities of myself and my family? Or is it fueled by my desire to have more? More money, more luxuries, more things. 
Jesus tells this story here in Luke chapter 12 to say that if you want to serve God, you might have to give some things up, especially your grand plans of building bigger barns. What direction is my life oriented toward? Toward self or toward God? Which brings me finally to this third truth from the parable. Because Jesus says that where our life is pointed, it's actually, it's actually going to show up in our attitude. Because thirdly, there are two attitudes that our stuff can create. It can either make us haughty or our stuff can make us humble. You know, I really do believe this is where our stuff can cause some real problems. Because having lots of stuff can really serve to inflate our egos and to make us puffed up. I'll say again, it's not the amount of hay in the barn, and it's not the size of the car that we drive, and it's not the square footage of the house. No, it's how we allow that stuff to affect our thinking. That's where the problem comes in. One writer said the following about the parable. He said, The most foolish thing that this rich man did was assure himself that the future was in his control. And you know what? That's exactly right. In fact, that's verse 19 where the rich man says, Hey, I've got all this stuff laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. And I do think that this right here is the greatest danger with our material blessings. And that is that they blind us and they fool us into thinking that with stuff, and in fact with more stuff, that means that we are able to exercise some measure of control on our world. Did it rain on you last night? It, it rained pretty much all evening long through the early morning. But you know what? I'm okay. I'm okay because... Well, because I had a roof. And you know what? I didn't have to worry about getting wet or even getting cold because of the rain because I, I have central heat. You see, I am able to control the weather or, or at least the weather that I'm living in because I have a house. I own a house and I have that possession. And furthermore, I can control where I go and where I am geographically because I own, I possess an automobile. In fact, I possess a couple of automobiles. And furthermore, I can control who I speak to and who speaks to me at any given time because, because I have this really amazing device that allows me, allows me the ability to control who I talk to and who I let talk to me. In fact, even in my leisure time, I'm able to use this device to control what I enter into my mind and the things that entertain me. Do you see? The more stuff you have, the more control you have, right? Do you remember Steve Jobs? Steve Jobs was the head and the co-founder of Apple. Many of you right now are holding in your lap or maybe have in your pocket or maybe even have right on your wrist an item, a gadget, a gizmo that was pioneered by Steve Jobs and the people at Apple. 
Steve Jobs had a net worth of over $10 billion. He lived in one of the most palatial communities in Palo Alto, California, and he had more stuff, he had more money than you and I could ever even dream of. But have you noticed that I keep talking about Steve Jobs in the past since? Steve Jobs had pancreatic cancer. And in 2011, he died at the age of 56. Now if Steve Jobs, with all of his money, and all of his possessions, and all of his technology, and all of the resources that he had at his disposal by being the head of what was essentially the biggest tech company in the entire world, if Steve Jobs had all of this stuff, and he was not able to leverage all of that stuff to control even his own body, then what on earth makes you and I think that our little bit of stuff is somehow going to enable us to exert any significant amount of control on our world? Why do we let our things make us so haughty? You know, has 2020 taught us nothing? Think about how many companies and how many businesses and how many jobs have been lost during this pandemic that nobody saw coming. It came completely out of the blue. Nobody saw it coming. And as a result, nobody could control it. Why do we let stuff that we have make us so proud and so full of ourselves. Oh, look at what I've done. Look at what I've attained. Look what I've accomplished. I'm really something. It seems once again we, we have to make a choice. We have to make a choice. What are we going to do with our stuff? Or what are we going to let our stuff do to us? Will I be thankful Will I allow my material possessions to serve as manifest proof of God's blessings poured out incredibly in my life? Am I going to use my stuff to be a visual reminder of the giver of every good and perfect gift from above and then humble myself before the God of heaven? Will I allow my stuff to serve in that capacity? Or... Will I pat myself on the back like this rich farmer and take a look at all of my stuff and say, Oh, I've got it made. Eat, drink, and be merry. My stuff guarantees that I've got the good life. I'm in control. Please don't sit here and think that that could never happen to you or I. God told Israel all the way back in Deuteronomy the 8th chapter, that when they came into the promised land, that they were going to be blessed with a lot of stuff. God would bless them materially in an abundant way. But God warned them that they needed to be careful not to become arrogant in their wealth and end up forgetting the Lord. Guess what? They did exactly that. They did. They forgot the Lord. Jesus tells this parable in Luke the 12th chapter to make sure that you and I, we don't make that same mistake and instead we let our material blessings not drive us away from the Lord, 
But we let those blessings drive us to the Lord. You know, I am persuaded that this parable in Luke chapter 12, it is so needed today. Because the reality is, Americans do love their stuff. And so do American Christians. In fact, one of the revelations of this pandemic this year is that Americans have discovered new ways to acquire stuff. There are people who had never purchased a single item online prior to 2020. But now... They have learned very, very quickly how to put that item in the shopping cart and to hit the button and do the clicking that needs to happen in order to make that little box with the smiley face on it arrive at their front doorstep. We're shopping and we're buying and we are material creatures who like material things and material comforts. And you know what Jesus says? Jesus says that's okay. He does. He says that's okay. As long as what is driving us is a determination to be spiritually rich, as long as we are oriented toward eternity, and as long as we are being humbled by what we have been blessed with, it will all be okay as long as we own our stuff instead of letting our stuff own us. Now, if you're using a songbook this evening, you can be grabbing that right now as we get ready to sing a song of invitation. And I do believe this is a great opportunity for all of us to think about whether or not we are rich toward God. You know, this parable in Luke, the 12th chapter, it tells us why it's so important for us to be rich toward God because it tells a story about this man who wasn't rich toward God And as a result, he met the Lord that evening in an unprepared condition. What about you this evening? Are you unprepared? Do you need to get prepared? You need to be rich toward God. And being rich toward God begins by loving Him with all of your heart and then furthermore obeying Him from the heart. Can we help somebody tonight to be united with Jesus Christ in the waters of baptism? upon your confession of faith that Jesus Christ is Lord, making a determination to turn away from sin and to God, then this evening it would be our just distinct privilege to baptize you into Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are a Christian, and it may be, brother or sister, that you've allowed second things and third things to take priority in your life, and God being first, ah, He's not there anymore. He's moved down the pecking order somewhere. You need to fix that. The Lord will not abide staying in one of those other positions. He needs to be first. And we want to help you as you help us to put the Lord first in our lives. Do you need to repent? Do you need the prayers of the saints here? Whatever your need may be, we're ready to assist you. If there's any way that we can help anybody to serve the Lord and be rich toward God, then make that known by coming to the front. Do that right now while we stand and while we sing.